When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Continue our 25 years series, a loving look back at these first 25 years of, of Ravens history. Joining me today is Spencer Peterson. Spencer, how you doing? Life's good, Ken. <laughs> That's the way to go. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that anymore. <laughs> Somebody takes my tagline here. Uh, but thanks anyway, Spencer. We really appreciate you joining us. Uh, today, you're going to talk about, uh, about the 2011 Ravens draft, an interesting side note that maybe not a lot of people know. Uh, first of all, let's talk about where people can talk football with you up front. Uh, your Twitter handle? It's uh, Spencer CP. That's S P E N S E R C P. It's the best place to find me. All right, fantastic. So, the 2011 draft, the Ravens' first two picks in particular, what was similar about them? So, maybe to, to back up for a second, uh, watching the 2021 draft, the Jets were on the clock in both the fourth and fifth round. And I think after their second fifth round pick, or the second pick in that sequence, rather, uh, they selected their second Michael Carter. And the draft coverage crew, I think it was NFL Network, but it may have been ESPN, was incredulous and, and amazed that a team had selected two uh, players with the same first and last name in a row. So I'm screaming at my television. My wife thinks I'm crazy. The Ravens had done exactly that 10 years prior, but they had actually done it with their first two picks, uh, both of whom were named James Smith. One interesting thing about that, though, is that neither James Smith actually goes by James. Uh, as listeners probably have guessed by now, one is uh, Jimmy Smith. The other is Tory Smith. Again, taken uh, one and two in the, the 2011 draft. A uh, hell of a pair of draft picks, obviously, for the Ravens. Uh, Jimmy Smith, the number one pick out of Colorado, uh, still with the Ravens today. Yeah. And uh, a guy who, who kind of helps add to that uh, secondary depth that we've been relying on so much the last couple of years. 
Yeah, it's funny. It's been the last year of Jimmy Smith in Baltimore for about the last five years, it seemed. You know, he did. He signed a big extension. And, uh, you know, I think he's been worth pretty much every dollar the Ravens have paid him. Uh, hasn't been on the field the entire time. I'm sure there's some people who disagree, but he's played 120 games now as a Raven. Um, that's a heck of a career. Absolutely. Uh, the number two pick, and I, I, we should do some comparing and contrasting as we go here, but uh, the number two pick, Torrey Smith, uh, broke out immediately in 2011, whereas Jimmy Smith, uh, injured in his very first play in the NFL on the opening kickoff against Pittsburgh in that 2011 game, pretty much the only thing that went wrong that day, and he lost for half the season. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Torrey coming onto the scene very, uh, very quickly. I know there were some questions about him in his first training camp about his hands, that played into, uh, I think, the first couple games of the season. It, it was funny. I think when you were talking to Sarah, the question came up about OA of a player who has had you know, that level of impact that early in his career. And I think it was in the context of the first two games. And I had to go back and look it up because I distinctly remember uh, Torrey Smith's game against uh, the, Rams, the Rams his rookie year. But it was actually week three where he had those three consecutive 50-plus bombs. Uh, so that was the example I wanted to uh, excitedly fire off on Twitter to you. But uh, had to look it up, and it was actually week three. Yep. A huge game against the Rams. Um, the, the, uh, the first two, the first two uh, weeks, I don't know if he had – he might have had one target or he might have had none, but his first three catches in the NFL were touchdowns. That's the first time that had been done since the merger So uh, at the time, correct? I think so. And I, if I believe – if I remember correctly, they were all 50-plus yards, which was uh, another part of that as well. I'm going to say a different thing, that, that one was like 50, 76 or something. And another was 41, and then a third was 18. But we're going to actually go back and look at this while we do this game. I'll look at his game logs and see this. But talk to me a little bit about, uh, about either player in terms of, of what they meant to this franchise. Yeah, there's a, a couple ways you can look at it. And the first way, I just wanted to, you know, off the bat, my first thought was uh, lockdown cornerback, been, had a longer career that, you know, Jimmy is the, the better player sort of in totality. Wanted to, to sense check that, though, and went to – pro football reference and use their approximate value tool and was shocked to find out that Tory's AV for his career is actually higher than that of Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Um, not just his career, but also their, their first four years in Baltimore where their, their tenures would line up. Uh, so Jimmy has a AV of 39, Tory Smith has AV of 42 uh, for their careers. But, you know, as we were talking in the, the production meeting, a couple structural reasons that that might, you know, be the case, a guy like Jimmy Smith, uh, hasn't played as many games, as you mentioned at the top of the show, just past Torrey Smith, despite him still being an active player and Torrey being retired, 120 games to, to Torrey's 119. Additionally, hasn't started all of those. I believe he started 90 of those games, whereas Torrey has 106 starts in his, his career. So just some of the mechanics of how AV, uh, not familiar if people listening, or not sure if people listening are familiar with that, but you know it it's a helpful tool, but it takes a very kind of rules-based dividing up of the, the points or the value in a way that's maybe a little bit more simplistic than war in baseball, if, if folks are familiar with it. So there's just some structural things there that kind of penalize, I think, Jimmy Smith in the uh, AV calculation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a qualitatively similar value in their careers. I think that's pr- pretty accurately captured. Very important to the Ravens, certainly. Torrey Smith, uh, a wonderful deep threat for Joe Flacco, really allowed Flacco to air the ball out on a lot of boot plays, you know, was one of the big things. In 2012, he had the three longest pass interference flags drawn in the entire NFL, 50, 50, and 60 yards. 
which is just incredible in terms of a distance on a pass interference call. But uh, it, it was, uh, you know, it was a Torrey Smith, uh, especially in addition to long catches uh, of his own. Yeah. So one thing about Torrey and not even getting into sort of the hidden yardage of, of PI calls, I feel that he somewhat goes underappreciated in Baltimore just with, you know, how, when you compare him to the, the track record of the team of drafting receivers, which hopefully has, has turned the corner in the last couple of years here, but if I'm not mistaken, he's the only homegrown player to, uh, and when I say homegrown, I mean drafted and, and developed here mm-hmm. in Baltimore, to record a thousand plus yards in a season and a double digit touchdown season. Um, but no Pro Bowls, no All Pros, but still, I think, an incredibly impactful player for Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Obviously, Baltimore hasn't really been built around the pass. In fact, they really never had a franchise quarterback before Flacco. Uh, and, you know, when they had Flacco, obviously, they were still a very defensive oriented team. Uh, so it's not completely surprising that they wouldn't collect a bunch of thousand yard receivers. And the ones they've had uh, have been guys they've they've picked up or the guys who've even been close like Mason and and Steve Smith. Um, trying to think of who else would would fall into that category. Maybe you can think of a couple. Yeah, I, uh, none, Shannon none, Sharp didn't quite make it, but yeah, none come immediately to mind. But I, I just recall, uh, sort of in his last year here in Baltimore, I think when there was an expectation, maybe it was the the weight of expectations that he would take this you know next step and become this dominant, uh, you know, prolific pass catcher, and he just didn't become that. Uh, I think some folks kind of soured on him at that point. But you know, when you compare him to the the draft history of the team. You, you know, I, I would think maybe he would get a little bit more love in that respect. Yeah, I mean, he certainly had a better career. I think we'd we'd agree than Mark Clayton or Travis Taylor, who were higher picks. Uh, I try to think of who else was was drafted higher in the second round because the Ravens haven't had a lot of second round wide receivers over the course of their history that I can remember. They've had a, Patrick you know, Johnson, I think. Oh, you're right. You're right. And that didn't work out, obviously. Uh, Brashad Perriman didn't work out among the ones. So it really, if, in, in terms of the highest drafted receiver who really worked out, it probably is Tory. Yeah. And it was actually interesting that uh, crazy Michael Jackson season in 1996, I went back to look at his numbers. And uh, a number you bring up frequently that I thought was actually quite interesting his yards per, uh, the yards target. per attempt or yards per uh, target, rather. Uh, would have been the second lowest of Torrey Smith's career in that year where he went for, I think it was like 1,400 yards and double-digit touchdowns or what, whatever whatever the numbers were, it would have actually been one of Torrey's lower uh, yards per target numbers. That's incredible. I mean, obviously, Derek Alexander was the guy who was the, the long ball threat uh, in that era. Did I mix that up? Is it Alexander? Uh, uh, Alexander had, had, I think, a very high yards per target in 1996. So I'm, what I'm saying is that Michael Jackson was more of an intermediate target. Although, I mean, his yards per reception are good. He just His catch rate was low. And in 1996, he had 8.0 yards per target. And so if you could, and, and he had lower in his last two years with the Ravens, actually. Yeah, if and, I'm not mistaken, and I can pull it up here, but Torrey had, I think, years of in the eights and then a year of, in, of below nines. And I think that uh, would have been his lowest or second lowest. Right. It wasn't the same receiver after he left the Ravens. He did have a good year with San Francisco in 2015 and then three not so good years with San Francisco, Philadelphia, Carolina to close it out. Yeah. And on that point, actually, I think before we kind of go to the end of his career, uh, that he left actually is an interesting wrinkle to how you think about kind of value or uh, these two players' careers. Because uh, as I mentioned before, Jimmy Smith just – kind of off the top of my head, I would say was the the more valuable or the better player. But 
if you look at it from maybe a Tampa Bay Rays perspective or Moneyball perspective, oh yeah, that you know Tory Smith, we got him as a second rounder, highly productive, walked, were able to get a fourth round comp pick, didn't end up you know paying him handsomely you know for beyond his drafted or uh, I'm sorry his rookie contract years. You know, from that perspective, you could say that he was more the more effective player in terms of helping us beat the cap. Oh, for sure. And, and, and less draft capital for, for that. Uh, you know, he's drafted what in the forties or something when, when they got him. So that sounds about right. Uh, okay. Back into the forties, because I believe Jimmy Smith was in the early twenties. So that would make sense. Okay. Uh, oh, right. 58th overall, actually. So 58th overall versus 27th, I think it was. Was That was a funny year where the Ravens drafted one pick too late because they felt they had a trade with Chicago. Chicago was that that said, year? Oh. Yeah, Chicago said, oh, it was our fault. And yeah. I, I don't remember who they got at 27, but uh, but hopefully they got screwed on that guy. Let's uh, just take a quick look at this because I have to I have to know these kinds of things. So it was uh, Gabe Karimi. They picked at 29. Offensive lineman? Yeah. So it didn't end up being a, a particularly great player. He played 48 career games. Uh, but uh, but it was it was actually the team at 27, I think, no, nah, Ravens are going to trade back or something. They ended, I, I, I forget exactly what the story is before this, but it, because it looks like they picked 29th, which is actually after the Ravens. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember exactly what the, what the story was. Maybe they traded the pick to somebody else to jump up two spots. Uh, I have to, I'd have to really look at that. Uh, but anyway, I, I agree with you that, that that makes complete sense from a GM perspective. You want to spend less draft capital. They did. You want to spend less cap where the production is. And they certainly did that. Jimmy Smith has been paid a lot of money for all these years with the Ravens and they spent a lot of draft capital on him. So in terms of the return they got on the pick, I agree. Torrey Smith, much higher. Maybe not the right way to think about it, but kind of uh, recouping some of that value in these one and $2 million kind of base contracts on the back end. But again, probably not the right way to, to think about the big money that he made. I think it was like a 60 million for five years was the first extension he got or, or something like that. Right. You'd want to you'd want to take like a percentage of cap number by year, right. I think, to really equate that. But that's a, that's a that's a really it's a great thought. It's a it's a good GM thinking to think, hey, you get most of your value from any player on the first draft. So it's is really important that those picks turn out and and start to play well immediately, like Adafi. Absolutely. And as I was sort of just to to go back to which player, you know, comparing the two, uh, thinking about their careers, we mentioned the the game that Torrey Smith had against the Rams, which is probably the best individual game of either of these two. Mm-hmm. But if you went to maybe an even more kind of atomized or micro level, if you were to think about the best play that, or most impactful play that anyone has had, Jimmy Smith, you know, had a somewhat disappointing or, you know, slow to develop rookie year, but, you know, capped it off really nicely in that, that, or, I apologize, actually, it wasn't his rookie year, it was his second, second year. year. Yeah. But he was a little slow to start the, he was a little slow to start his career. I know some folks were a little down on him, kind of early was, you know, this guy worth a first round pick. And, um, you know, there's some questions there, but even if he hadn't turned into the player, he did kind of making that game ceiling. Uh, I don't know if it's scored a pass defense, but uh, the coverage of Crabtree in the end zone uh, to end the, that Super Bowl in 2012, probably the most impactful individual play of any of them. Yeah, I, I would say he was the Ravens defensive MVP in that game. And they didn't have a lot going on defense that entire game. He had a nice forced fumble by Upshaw, they had an interception by Reed. They had a generally pretty poor game from Ray Lewis, which was kind of salvaged in the last three plays with, with three great plays. Uh, but Jimmy Smith was the guy, and, and he had a huge hit on Crabtree the play before 
by the left sideline that knocked the ball free as well. I, I think it would certainly have been penalized in today's game, but it, uh, it dislodged the football and brought up fourth and five. It might have been a second down. I'm trying to remember if that was second or third down, but it was one of those two plays. And then, of course, the, the, the big play. I think even though he only played something like 17 snaps in that game, I think he was the team's defensive MVP by a, by a good margin. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, we're talking about individual big plays. Uh, Torrey Smith did some things against the Patriots in terms of in the 2012 game on Monday Night Football. Obviously, was a um, you know had had very significant plays there, and obviously dealing with personal loss at the time. Uh, what other games come to mind from Torrey Smith's career in terms of big plays? I think it was the next year. I believe it was 2013. Might have been 2014. There was an overtime game or a game that went down to the fourth quarter against the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers that I remember, where he caught one in the back of the end zone. Uh, from Flacco kind of late in the game. I, I forget if time was expiring or if that was, you know, seconds left and they kicked it off or what the exact circumstances were. But that, that you know, thinking about impactful games or big moments was one that came immediately to mind. Okay, so the 2011 opener, they played the Steelers, and that's when Jimmy got hurt. The 2011, the second game, the Steelers still had a chance to win the tiebreaker and win the division. In fact, if you go to the Steelers' boards, they still talk about that. Oh, you let them drive 92 yards in two minutes. And they did, and that was the game where Torrey – First of all, did not make the catch on the left side of the end zone, and it was a you know catch that Collinsworth was mildly critical about him. He said it's a, it's a difficult catch, but it's a, this is a championship moment; it's got to be made. And of course, they went right back to him, and uh, might have been two plays later, and and he had the touchdown on the uh, right side of the end zone. It was a, a thing of beauty. It's one of the one of the plays we all remember. How could I have forgotten that? How, how could I mean seriously? How could I have forgotten that? You remember the specifics, but I had to prime you there. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I think kind of towards the end of his time in Baltimore, there was a couple of big plays that stood out. And I think you mentioned the Patriots before. I think that was the big game when he, like you mentioned, that was maybe a, a Sunday nighter against the Patriots mm-hmm. where he came up big. Unfortunately, in that, um, I believe it was divisional round of the playoffs uh, in 2014, uh he had a couple bad bad plays, but none worse than maybe that alligator arms or kind of came up short on a on an interception late in the game when yeah. they'd gone up big early. Then I think they were up fourteen twice maybe during the game, and yes. then they were down by a touchdown or you know some amount late. And uh, you know, the Ravens were 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 driving and hoping to come back and and make up for kind of coughing up the game twice there. And uh, unfortunately, he sort of gave up on a ball or appeared to give up on a ball. And it led to an interception that sealed the game for uh, for the Pats. Yeah, I remember that as well. That was a that was a tough one. They were only down thirty five thirty one at the time. A touchdown would have, you know, obviously given them the lead again, and uh, and that was a shame. It's unfortunate though because um, you know it, individual play didn't look great, but I, I feel like coming out of that he got a you know huge share of the blame when there's other parts of that game that you know didn't go to plan or right. we coughed up again multi score leads that. Uh, he was certainly not solely to blame for that. Right. No, I, I agree entirely. It's, it's, it's one of these things where the Ravens were so close that year and that was a deflate gate year. The next, the next year they found that the, the AFC championship game, there was an interception at the end of the half. Uh, the Indianapolis player took it to the sideline. They investigated the ball and all of a sudden it's way under the weight. And then they investigated all the balls 
and, and they uh, uh, suspended Brady for four games coming out of that very complex situation. But a lot of Ravens fans felt, hey, look, we were that close that year, and they're absolutely right. I mean, that team was so close. Despite all the problems they had in the secondary, despite a lot of other issues that the team had in general, it was the, the Kubiak offensive year. It was, was the um, you know, it was really something positive for the Ravens. Yeah, I, you know, th- that game was uh, a poor ending, but, you know, I was really positive coming out of that game that mm-hmm. they would be right back there in 2015. Unfortunately, uh, you know, not to say that there was any one thing that, that drove that, but when Kubiak, you know, who had said he didn't want to be a head coach, but the Denver Broncos opportunity was sort of his dream job, you know, I'm not sure if this is the exact reason, but, you know, part of me feels like that was sort of the uh, unraveling of what I thought would be a situation where we'd be right back there the next year. Yeah, that hurt a lot. And then 2015, of course, is the worst injury year in Ravens history. And I don't know, this this year is is going to give it a run for its money. But 2015 was the was the worst ever, certainly at the time. Lost Suggs in that opener in Denver, lost Flacco eventually, lost a whole spate of other players. So uh, it was a bummer. But then that, of course, led to Ronnie Stanley. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you go back, even before Flacco went down, I think it was you know week six, week seven, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around there, uh, that team just seemed very snake bitten. That mm-hmm. you know those first couple weeks, they lost a lot of close games, bounces didn't go their way, a couple things where you know every game you sort of came out of it saying, well, if this one other thing had gone differently, they might have been right there. You know, they're not they're not bad. They just have had some bad luck lately. And uh, before Flacco even went down, I think they you know were in a pretty deep hole there. So, um, you know, even with all the injuries this year, you sort of contrast it and, and this team does not have that same sort of luck or, or same sort of karma going for it that, uh, that 2015 team did. No, I, I, I mean, negative karma, negative karma. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, it, they're not there yet. Um, if, if something were to happen to Jackson, that would do it. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, the rest of the team, yes, we don't even want to, we don't even want to talk about that, but, uh, you know, the, the left tackle and right tackle situation being what it is, I'm, it, I live in constant week to week fear of that. Uh, fortunately, you know, I trust the offensive coordinator to scheme over those problems more than I trusted that OC. So, uh, I think that was the Mark Trestman year, right? In 2015. Yeah, I believe so. Okay. So, um, anyway, so I should say maybe the last thing here, you know, I know you, you don't want to be doing, uh, Mount Rushmore's and Mm -hmm. we've kind of been doing the Mount Rushmore of James Smith's here, but the, uh, for each of them, you know, I feel like Tory might be one of the, if he's not number one, he's probably in the top three of all time Ravens receivers. Um, where would you say Jimmy Smith ranks, uh, just among among the cornerbacks, yeah, has okay. Marlon surpassed him? Where do you think uh, is Chris McAllister still still the top guy? What you, you're mentioning the top guys right now? Uh, I am a big fan of Dwayne Starks, so I like what he did, and it, it's similar to Torrey Smith in that they got all the value on the first contract, and even though it was a number nine pick, they got great value from him, um, or ten, nine or ten, one or the other. But he, he, you know, he had. 20 some interceptions for the Ravens in, in 1998 through 2001 in four years. So uh, he had a special, special career in a very short period of time. Obviously he was part of the, the, the greatest defense of all time. Uh, you know, there was, there was just a lot to like there. Uh, if I'm looking at other cornerbacks, uh, I'm going to have a hard time finding anybody as good as those three, but Jimmy Smith is probably the next in line in that group. 
and I think the, the Ravens, unfortunately, probably are going to cornerback is one of the positions which has to compete for their number one draft pick next year. Yeah. Um, Dwayne Starks, actually, it's interesting you bring that up. I looked it up once and I forget the exact numbers, but number of guys who have had 20 plus interceptions in their first four years, it's a very small list. Very small list. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think, again, very impactful draft. Both of them rank kind of at or, or near the top of their position all time in, in sort of the Ravens franchise uh, history, despite the no Pro Bowls, no all pros, you know, going through the uh, rest of that draft class, that's also when they got Pernell McPhee. And again, despite the lack of uh, Pro Bowls and all pros, you know, those three guys alone, regardless of what else you got in the draft class, you know, you're ecstatic about as a GM. Yeah, I, I agree. And it wasn't, they had some other players who were not impact, impactful. Anthony Allen, Shockey Brown actually got run out of town after he forgot to get on the field during the nickel defense. I don't know if mm-hmm. you know that story, but uh, uh, Tandon Doss, who was a favorite of, of Flacco's for a while, and Ja Reed, who ended up playing a little bit with the Chiefs and effectively, but never really got it done with the Ravens. But uh, McPhee, a, a marvelous player. Um, and you can't, the sad thing is you really can't count this um, re- um, second tour of duty with the Ravens for McPhee in his draft value, because you know we 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 had the same access to him that any other team did the second time around. But he was a hell of a player the first time around. That 2014 pass rush which had 60, 56 sacks. Uh, he really drove that. Yeah, and I think uh, you get the same impact from sort of again the, the Tampa Bay Rays. Let's trade the guy when he he's hitting arbitration uh, path to value as Tory there that. Again, a guy even more efficient use of draft capital, all but maybe a, a little slower to develop, but fifth round pick who then walks. In, and I think actually both of them netted fourth round comp pick compensation. Um, they might have been back to back picks. I forget exactly. But uh, so with McPhee, that was even more than they used to draft him exactly. originally. Yeah. And I think there was a there was a story in ESPN uh, at some point that was talking about the Ravens history of comp pick drafting. And I think they used McPhee as sort of the the cover story or the, the, the case study of a guy who was drafted in the fifth round had incredibly productive uh, four years with the Ravens and then walked and actually returned a higher draft pick compensation than they used on him. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Rick Wagner would be another good one along those lines that they got value from and then, uh, and then left. Spencer, it's been an absolute pleasure talking this. I love GM-esque topics, and, and you, you really brought this in, but it's a nice story about the, about the, uh, uh, the two Smiths, and uh, uh, really appreciate having you on. You're welcome anytime to come on again. Tell folks again where they can talk football with you. Yeah, probably the easiest place is uh, on Twitter at, at SpencerCP, uh, so S-P-N-S-E-R-C-P, and uh, love talking Ravens and uh, you know, love listening to the podcast. So thanks, Ken. Thanks so much, Spencer. Other people out there, if you'd like to do one of these history podcasts, Narrow Topic is good. Spencer came up with one. We can always do a little tangential storytelling as we just did in this episode, but we want a narrow topic we can cover in some depth in about 20 minutes. Uh, Send me a DM on Twitter. We'll get the process started. Spencer, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. When 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.